Last night, leftist students at George Washington University shrieked and they screamed and they stormed out during my speech because I defended George Washington at George Washington University. Meanwhile, students at the Catholic Notre Dame University performed slam poetry and accused their classmates of murder because, wait for it, those classmates espoused Catholic social views. Conservatives' knee-jerk reaction to these kids is to blame them as wacky and snowflakes, and all of that's obviously true, but we will examine whether or not there is some deeper reason why the kids obviously are not all right. Then, a profoundly moving moment at Amber Geiger's murder trial, Maxine Waters' chickens come home to roost, and finally, the mailbag. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. So I'm at George Washington University last night in D.C., and this is the third stop on this year's uh, campus tour on the Men Are Not Women and Other Uncomfortable Truths tour. And the reason the tour is called Men Are Not Women and Other Uncomfortable Truths is because last spring, when I was at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, I gave what I figured was my blandest speech ever, which was called Men Are Not Women. If you'd gone back three years and told somebody that this would be a controversial speech, they would laugh in your face. But at that speech, the students shrieked and they screamed and they stormed out and one guy attacked me with a super soaker full of we don't know what kind of creepy chemicals. So I thought that was it. That was the peak of basic facts about life that could make left-wingers irate until I went to George Washington University because I was invited to George Washington University to give a speech defending George Washington and specifically their mascot, which is George the Colonial, who is George Washington. Figure this should be pretty easy. Not only am I defending one of the greatest men to ever live and the father of our country, first in war, first in peace, and first of the heart, in the hearts of his countrymen, I'm doing it at George Washington University. And I know the universities are crazy now, but you figure if you choose to go to a university called George Washington University, probably you at least don't hate George Washington. I was so wrong, how wrong I was. I'm giving the speech, about 10 minutes in, some alarm goes off. And as I'm just describing some of George Washington's historical feats, some pretty basic aspect of Washington's life, these students leap to their feet and start shrieking profanities, vulgarities, F you, F you, you're a fascist. And I asked, I was standing there asking them, what did I say that you object to? What did I say that is making you call me all these things and making you have this hysterical emotional breakdown in a classroom? None of them could give any sort of answer. Here's just a short taste of the students leaping to their feet. This So it's hard to hear over the shrieks and the shame and fascist and all this. But what I, what I mentioned is that a, a lot of the reason why 
left-wingers at colleges get upset by George Washington, or they get upset by Christopher Columbus, or they get upset by America itself, is because of ignorance, because they're uneducated. And obviously, students are uneducated. They're getting educated. That's why they're students. But they're particularly uneducated these days because they have not been taught the history of their own country. And in many ways, they've been taught an anti-history of their country written by left-wing polemicists like Howard Zinn, for instance, who wrote People's History of the United States. So I made this point, And then right on cue, these kids jump up and start shrieking nonsense. And I said, you know, you're really, you're really not disproving my point here, kids. <laughs> if you want to, if the point you're trying to make is that you're really not uneducated and you're really not emotionally volatile and, and wacky, then probably this is not the sort of behavior you should engage in. So the, the kids finally storm out and we, we go on with the rest of the lecture. This has happened to me a few times on campuses. I, ironically, it always happens when I'm discussing the blandest topics, but I, I notice in this culture, it's the most basic truths that are the truths that the left wants to deny. They, they have to force you to not believe your own lion eyes. So they have to force you not to believe that men are different than women. They have to force you to believe that men are the same as women. And if you challenge this, then they'll shriek at you. They have to force you to believe that your country, America, is just absolutely rotten to the core and nobody's more rotten than the founder of the country. And if you say, no, that, that really isn't backed up by any historical evidence, they'll shriek and they'll scream and they'll shout. It's very easy to just laugh at the snowflakes and drink their leftist tears. I do that. I, I enjoy doing that. But also, we need to ask ourselves, why is this happening? What does it say about the culture and how can we fix it? Because it's not just happening at GW. Another, another viral video came out of Notre Dame. I went to Notre Dame. I was actually defending another historical figure there, Christopher Columbus. And some students protested all of that. But just this week, we had a bunch of students put out this video and it went viral on the internet where the students were lambasting their, their classmates for holding Catholic views. So this was a group of leftist students who were accusing their classmates of being homophobic and transphobic and murderers even because they believe in Christian sexual ethics, because they believe in the teachings of the Catholic church. I know that I don't need to remind you Notre Dame means Our Lady. Notre Dame is a Catholic university, or at least it used to be. It's nominally a Catholic university. It's really the most famous Catholic university in the United States. And these students who chose to go to Notre Dame, who are Notre Dame students, they, they went there. It's like the students who choose to go to George Washington University, even though they hate George Washington. These are students who chose to go to a Catholic university, are shocked and appalled that some of their classmates are Catholics. And they're, they're shocked and appalled and they want to shut them down. And they want these students not to be allowed to have their clubs and not to be allowed to publish their thoughts and to espouse Catholic social views. So they chose that they decided the best way that they could get their message out was through performance art and slam poetry. And slam poetry is the death of art. Slam poetry is, I know it's not considered a crime in the U.S. legal code, though of course it should be, and I intend to lobby my congressman to make it a crime. It is such an offense against art. It is such an offense against beauty, uh, but this is uh, the way they do it because the left loves this form of art and they love all forms of art that are, that are destructive and ugly. So here is just a little taste of, of these kids, these leftist students at Notre Dame 
lambasting, baselessly smearing their classmates of murder because they can't understand why students at a Catholic university might be Catholic. Your homophobic discourse soiled my air supply. Your ivory tower theology slit my loved one's throats. I'm trying to go to class without dead friends in my backpack, just trying to touch my girl's shoulder in the grass. You want to unaffirm me, to lobotomize me with a crowbar. While the murdered trans angels, 18 this year yet, leak brimstone into your praying mouths, students for child-oriented policy, Irish Rover, you say my piece had violent undertones, that it drew hostile attention. You say expressing a Catholic viewpoint should not be equated to committing a heinous crime. You contrasted your reasoned opinion with my intellectual chaos that you are targeted. But I must respectfully say that the blood on your names did not come from you or the hate groups you've been inviting to speak on campus. It was ours and my loved ones. Your reasoned opinions seep into churches, into culture. They diffuse like venomous gas from every outlet. That is the very nature of discourse. So it, it goes on. I'll spare you the rest. At one point, a girl takes a crowbar to a list of the students' names and starts banging. And obviously, obviously, these kids are ignorant and uncultured and prideful, and they produce terrible, terrible, terrible art. Uh, obviously, that is true, Okay. But it's not entirely their fault. And what they're saying is very, very interesting and important. What that girl just said is that reasoned arguments are venomous. That reason itself, logic, the interpretation of facts to produce a coherent argument is venomous, poison, destructive. It's got to be gotten rid of. This is not their fault entirely. It's partially their fault. But it reminds me of the difference, the main difference between a conservative and a radical. And it shows maybe how conservatives should react to these guys. First, before we get to that, I've got to thank our friends over at Brickhouse. Have you ever wondered why Americans are so sick, unhealthy, and overweight these days? Obviously, they've they've got some intellectual problems going on, but they've got a lot of physical problems too. Americans are very sedentary. They're unhealthy. They're overweight. They're not skinny boys. There aren't that many skinny boys left in the country. Between the food supply and the sedentary lifestyle, Americans are in worse shape than ever. That is why the team of on-staff physicians at Brickhouse Nutrition created Field of Greens. I love Field of Greens. Field of Greens makes my life much simpler, makes it easier, and it will do the same for you. It's an easy way for you to add fruits and vegetables to your daily routine without spending hours in the produce section or hiring a home chef or taking those cheap supplements. I love Field of Greens because for me, if I were left on my own, I've been on the road for the past week, my diet would consist of fatty Italian meats and maybe homemade pasta. That's That would be it. I, I guess maybe some cheese, but mostly fatty Italian meats is what I'm saying. And that's not good for you all the time. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants and assists digestive health with prebiotics and probiotics. It is like having a doctor and a nutritionist in your kitchen. One scoop of Field of Greens delivers a full serving of fruits and vegetables. You just drop it in a cup of water, stir it, you're done. It's also very good for smoothies. Bottom line here, this is real food, okay? This is not extracts. This is not some weird, bizarre chemical experiment. This is real food. You will look better. You will feel better. It's just terrific, and it just makes it so easy. For me, I would forget to eat my fruits and vegetables for six months at a time. Field of Greens makes it really easy. Go to, uh, to BrickhouseKnowles.com. 
That's a dedicated URL, BrickHouseKnowles.com. Also, please make that my nickname. Whenever you refer to me, I want to be referred to as Brickhouse Knowles. Makes me feel cool, not so much like a skinny boy. Get 15% off your first order just for trying it out with the promo code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. That is BrickHouseKnowles.com. Promo code Knowles. That's a lot of Knowles, and you're hearing that straight from me, good old Brickhouse Knowles. All right. So the, the kids at Notre Dame obviously have some issues going on and they're producing this terrible art and they're, it's so incoherent, it's laughable that they choose to go to a Catholic university named after Our Lady and then they're shocked and appalled and horrified because some of the students there are Catholic. I bet not even most of the students are practicing Catholics, but just some of them are and they espouse Catholic views and you're not allowed to do that at Catholic school. The two thoughts on this. First of all, on the broader political point, what this shows us is a big aspect of this debate between So Rob Amari and David French. And whatever you think about those two guys and whatever even you think about the debate, the premise here, the premise that So Rob Amari is attacking, whether he, you think it's fair or not, the premise is that in the liberal society, we're not going to make any grand moral statements. Okay, we're not going to, everything's just going to be neutral. And what the religious conservatives and so Rob are saying is there's no such thing as neutrality like that. Everybody's got to serve somebody. And so the liberal society is going to enshrine certain virtues and moral precepts. And those will either be conducive to the good or will be detrimental to the good. The other thing he's going after is that in this kind of liberal idea, we'll just carve out one little section of society for religion. And look, you can practice your religion there and you're not going to be able to practice it everywhere, but you practice it there and that's going to be okay. And what Sorab was saying is that's not true. You're not, when you have that little cutout for religion, they're just going to go after that next. And if you look at this story, it's hard to disagree with him. We're not just talking about a religious institution. We're not just talking about one university. We're talking about the Catholic university in America, Notre Dame. The students are trying to shut down Catholicism at Notre Dame. And by the way, increasingly they're being successful. That school has really gone downhill in recent years. So that's just the broader political point. It shows you, gosh, we really are in the midst of a culture war. Somebody's going to win. Cardinal Manning said that at bottom, all political disagreements are theological disagreements, and we are fighting in many ways a religious war. It's not a religious war between Catholics and Protestants or between Muslims and Christians or anything like that. It's a religious war between the religious, those who have traditional religion, and this neo-pagan leftism. It's a religious war between those people who go to church and those people who worship at the altar of the sun monster and climate change. It's, it's the kooky materialist religions of the left versus traditional religion. That's the broad political point. When it comes to the kids though, what to do about these shrieking, crazy, wacky, uneducated kids. It reminds me of John Stuart Mill's description of the difference between a conservative and a radical. So the philosopher, John Stuart Mill says, the radical, the rationalist, the follower of Jeremy Bentham looks at a received opinion and he asks, is it true? That's all he asks. Is it true? The conservative, like Thomas Carlyle, looks at a received opinion and says, what does it mean? And I think that's, that's a helpful way to look at the kids. I mean, we should laugh and make fun of the hysterics, but we should also ask the question, what does it mean? What does it mean that these students who are very privileged, who are materially very well off, 
Even the ones who aren't well off are very well off. They're at expensive schools in the richest country in the history of the world. What does it mean that they are losing their minds? I was talking to a friend of mine last night after the speech at GW, and she's very insightful on these kind of matters. And she said, it's easy enough to say that these kids are totally lunatics to be upset. But maybe they're right to be upset. They're just upset about the wrong things. And that really struck me. It's very much that conservative response. What does it mean? These students really are upset. I've been to enough of these campuses. I've talked to enough of these students to know they are genuinely irate, furious, maddened, and losing it. And a lot of them are on happy pills. And a lot of them are, have, have real problems. What does it mean? What are the kids so upset about? I think the answer is before us, and it's an answer that conservatives really can get behind. We'll get to that in just one second. But first, I've got to thank my friends over at Daniels NYC. You know how much I love Daniels NYC. Daniels NYC makes extremely high quality, beautifully designed leather briefcases. And this is a real point for me. I used to do this too, and I see all my millennial and Gen Z friends do this. Even some people who are older, they walk around in a business suit or in a nice Oxford shirt and slacks, or they're going to their job or their first job interview, and they have a backpack. Oh, this sends chills up and down my spine. Don't, you're an adult, okay? You are an adult. If you want to be treated like an adult, you need to behave like an adult. Part of that is ditching the backpack because you're not in sixth grade anymore. You need a briefcase and not just any briefcase because I know briefcases are very expensive. Even if you want some canvas bag, sometimes it can cost you five, $600. Daniel's figured it out. Daniel's a New York City based men's leather briefcase brand. They make exceptional quality and, and most importantly, beautifully styled, beautifully designed briefcases. Mine is the brown leather. It's got nice, uh, you know, little zippers and things on it and buttons. The buttons are really nice. And then the liner on the inside is this little pattern of foxes, subtle, but it's very New York. It's very, uh, it's got the kind of New York slash Ivy League look to it, but it's subtle. It looks really great. Because Daniels cuts out the middlemen, they sell directly to you. Daniels is able to offer a high quality luxury leather briefcase at an unbelievable price of $195. I've had really nice briefcases throughout my life. I just kind of got them as hand-me-downs and things like that. Even to get a not-so-nice briefcase can cost you four or 500 bucks. Daniels gives you, it is my favorite briefcase. I have 195 bucks. You're not going to beat that anywhere. It is so cool. Right now, this week, my listeners get $25 off their Daniels briefcase at DanielsNYC. Com. So you get another $25 off by using the promo code Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L at checkout. That's 25 bucks off one of their leather briefcases. They're great. I, I mean, I can't, I can't say enough about them. The sizing is great. They're not those big clunky things back when laptops were basically desktops. They're really just made for 2019 with that classic styling that always looks good. Plus they offer free shipping. DanielsNYC.com, promo code Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, 25 bucks off a handcrafted high quality leather briefcase with free shipping. Ditch the backpack, please. Don't, don't send shutters up and down my spine. Ditch the backpack, start looking like a pro. And, and with Daniels, you can actually afford it before you land the big job. DanielsNYC.com. I love their briefcases and I'm confident you will too. The question is, what are these kids upset about? The ones at GW, the ones at Notre Dame, the ones that you see on viral videos at campuses all across the country. Are, uh, the conservatives look at them often and we say, you kids are rich kids. You spoiled little rich brats. Shut up and stop complaining and stop whining. Fair enough. 
but something tells me they're not upset about their material prosperity. Okay. Materially, we are all doing great. Even people who are struggling financially at various periods still doing pretty great because we live in an unbelievably rich country. Now, the answer, shut up, stop complaining. You've got iPads, you've got iPhones, you've got lots of good money. That's a flippant answer because we say that on the one hand, and then on the other hand, conservatives know that the world is not just material. It's not even primarily material. Ronald Reagan famously quoted Winston Churchill, who said, when great forces are on the move in the world, we learn that we're spirits, not animals. The destiny of man is not measured by material computation. We are primarily religious beings. We're primarily spiritual beings. We are not, I mean, we have a body. We're unified. We're not, it's not like I'm not physical at all, but it's that old adage, money can't buy happiness. Money can buy a jet ski and people are happy on jet skis, but you're not on a jet ski all the time, all right? You're on a jet ski at most, what, an hour a day if you're near the water? Come on. Money actually can't buy happiness. And so to, to write off the, what these kids are saying and say, well, say you're rich kids, you're having a good time, that doesn't really get to it. So they're not, I don't think they're upset about money. Are they upset about politics? Yeah, I guess. They're upset that they're preferred politician lost in 2016. I mean, there was a study that came out of, I think it was ASU, which showed that 25% of college students surveyed reported PTSD-like effects months and months after the presidential election because their candidate lost and, and another candidate won. I mean, that's crazy stuff. But they really did show clinically high levels of stress. They really are upset about their politics. What does that say? It means maybe they've been taught a version of American politics that isn't true. And maybe our political institutions have been degraded and maybe faith in our systems of government has eroded. That tells us something. What about the culture? Maybe they're upset about the culture. They damn well should be upset about the culture. Our culture is terribly degraded. In the mid 20th century, huge numbers of Americans, perhaps the majority, subscribed to symphonies, subscribed to local artistic venues. That number has plummeted. That is simply not the case anymore. And even for the people who weren't going to symphonies, virtually everybody was a member of civic associations. The, the same free associations that Alex, uh, Alexis de Tocqueville talked about in Democracy in America. The, the Lions Club, the, the Kiwanis Club, the Bowling League. People were members of those and they would go out and see their fellow Americans and have friendships and go to each other's houses. That doesn't really happen anymore. Those numbers have all plummeted. And people increasingly don't know their fellow Americans. And you see this also because of urbanization. The irony is, I've lived in cities most of my life, you know many more people when you live in a small town than you do when you live in a city. I would live in cities in New York with hundreds and hundreds of people, maybe more than that. I knew like five of them because you just don't meet your neighbors. When you're in a city, you just kind of keep your head down, you keep walking. That's the way it goes. When you're in a small town, you know everybody. Everybody knows everybody's business. It's kind of frustrating sometimes, but there is a community there. It's not as isolating. I think young people increasingly have every right to be upset about their culture, and maybe they're misplacing that anger onto some politician or some conservative speaker on campus, or they're putting it on George Washington or Christopher Columbus. But, but, the anxiety that they're feeling is real. And then most importantly, you got the politics, you got the culture. Maybe they're upset about religion. In fact, I know they're upset about religion because by and large and increasingly they have been denied religion. 
It's not even that they've been taught some religion that isn't true or they were brought to the wrong church and they want to go to a different church. They've been denied serious religious education. They've been denied even the question. They've been denied the very fact that they are spiritual beings, that man is a religious being. Increasingly, children are being raised without religion. They're part of the nuns, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. They have no religious affiliation. And so they channel their natural religious longings. Man has a God-shaped hole in his heart. That's true of everybody. They channel that into the wrong places. So they misplace that into politics or they misplace that into their favorite online personality or they channel that into the weather and they, they worship the weather. And that is going to make people miserable. And that's not their fault that they were deprived that education. I was sitting with a friend of mine, a few friends of mine in New York, and we were in this beautiful little private residence and someone was playing a Chopin Nocturne on the piano. And this was midnight and everybody had had a few Coca-Colas or we'd had a few adult beverages. And we were just sitting there, maybe five or six of us, listening quietly to this beautiful performance of a Chopin Nocturne. Slightly drunken performance, but still excellent. And we thought, gosh, this is so lovely. And uh, my friend turned and pointed outside and he said, so many people out there don't even know this exists. And that's pretty sad. I'm not saying that you need to sit quietly and listen to Chopin Nocturnes all the time, but it's really nice to do that. It's really nice to know that those things exist. It's, it's the same difference between, you know, you love Hershey's chocolate. I still like Hershey's chocolate, but I like it less now than I used to when I was a kid. And the reason I like it less now is because I've discovered other things that I like on my taste palette. Darker chocolate, for instance, or scotch, or different kinds of food, or cigars, or as you are educated, and I don't mean that book learning, I mean as you grow and mature as a human being, your tastes change. And it's not just the tastes you put in your mouth, it's the tastes, your intellectual tastes, your music tastes, your artistic tastes, all of those things. That has been denied for a lot of people. And so they're still stuck with those basic things. C.S. Lewis writes about this, how kids think, uh, you know, when they're little, they say all they want is chocolate and candy. And they say, this is the greatest thing ever. And it's because they don't know about sex. <laughs> so, you know, when they, when they get a little bit older and they learn about that, they say, oh, no, I was wrong about the chocolate and the candy. There is something better than chocolate and candy. But for this whole generation, because they've been denied culture, because they've been denied education, they're stuck in this, this suspended adolescence and they, they, it doesn't feel good. You, nobody wants to be an overgrown child. We see anxiety, depression, stress are way up among these kids. Among teenagers, suicidality is up 70% in just the last two years. The kids are not all right. And they're not upset about George Washington and Catholic sexual ethics. They're upset about something else. Fair enough. They're upset that our politics is shallower, that our culture is degraded, and that they have no freaking clue what they were made for and why. That's a big problem. And the problem is not going to go away. The problem, the problem doesn't just go away. There's a, there's a viral video that just came out of a Michigan congressman, Haley Stevens, shrieking, shrieking at her constituents like those leftists at GW, like those kids at Notre Dame. She's not much older than them. She's a millennial too. She's 36 years old. She would fit right in with the slam poetry girls. What is she shrieking about? She's shrieking about our civil right to own a firearm. She's shrieking about a civil rights organization existing to protect those rights. Here is Congresswoman Haley Stevens. Michigan. 
This is why the NRA has got to go! Got to go. She's shrieked. The NRA, our, our right to lobby our, our representatives in the First Amendment, that's got to go. Our civil rights, they've got to go. She just, she doesn't understand what the NRA is. She doesn't understand what our Constitution is. In, in part, it's her fault because she's an overgrown child, but in part, she was obviously denied a proper education. You remember Maxine Waters. Maxine Waters, not a millennial, let's put it that way. She is now complaining because she can't go out to the store. People mob her. People yell at her. She has to have private security. Here she is on television complaining. He's endangering people's safety? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can't go to the grocery store uh, anymore by myself. I have to pay for security uh, all the time. Oh, that's too bad. I, I don't like that at all. They have security for me now when I go to campuses because people attack me, and I think that's wrong, and I think it's wrong that they attack Maxine Waters. I wonder where they got the idea that they could just go out and attack politicians. I wonder where these terrible people might have heard that they could go out and attack politicians like Maxine Waters. I wonder if they heard it from, um, checking my notes, uh, Maxine Waters. If you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome. That's, that's probably where they heard it from, I got to say. So Maxine, sorry, you know, maybe you planted the seeds. That's an ugly society. A society that says mob your politicians and mob your historical figures and get rid of George Washington, get rid of Columbus, shriek at your classmates, hate everybody. Half the country is deplorable and irredeemable. Don't forgive anybody for anything. Don't try to understand what they're saying. That's a terrible society. And there was a moment, there was a moment that did go viral yesterday at the trial of former Dallas Police Department officer Amber Geiger that shows you the alternative. Amber Geiger shot this poor guy, Botham Jean, in his own apartment. She thought that she was entering her apartment. She was on the wrong floor and she saw him sitting on what she thought was her couch. She shoots him dead, but it was his couch in his apartment. She was, she was found guilty of murder and the deceased man's brother came out and made an incredible statement. We'll get to that in a second. We'll get to the mailbag too. But first, I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Most importantly, speaking of culture and good culture, Another Kingdom season three is just days away. This is the final season. It's a trilogy and it is really fantastic. I, I can say this because all I do is read the words that Andrew Clavin wrote. It is so good. I mean, it is it is really powerful. And we talk all the time about how conservatives need to get in the culture and need to transform our politics through our culture. Drew did that with Another Kingdom. It is just so powerful. Episodes one and two are going to be released on Monday, October 7th. That's, you know, for the hoi polloi, the general public. But Daily Wire subscribers get exclusive access to them tomorrow. So if that's not enough of a reason, head on over, subscribe today. Subscribers also exclusively can catch up on the past seasons now at dailywire.com. So get ready for the final season coming out. Head on over to dailywire.com. You know what it is. 10 bucks a month, $100 for an annual membership. You get all that great stuff and you get to ask questions in the mailbag, which we're going to come back with right quickly. So go to dailywire.com. We'll be right back. Okay, so you've got this awful, shallow society, vindictive society that hates one another. And then you have this scene from the 
trial of Amber Geiger. Amber Geiger, former Dallas police officer, shoots Botham Jean dead in his own apartment because she thinks that she was in her apartment, which I guess was a couple floors away. She's found guilty of murder, not even manslaughter, but murder. And she was sentenced yesterday to 10 years in prison. And the deceased man's, I mean, he was, I think the guy was 26 years old, shot dead in his own apartment for doing nothing wrong. Absolutely tragic story, heartbreaking story. And, And even the fact that she didn't mean to do it, she just got the apartment wrong. I mean, it just, it just makes you weep for humanity and weep for yourself. And uh, the deceased man's brother made a statement at this sentencing. And it was, I I won't do it justice, I won't even sum it up. It is one of the most moving videos I have ever seen, one of the most moving statements I've ever heard. Give a listen. And I I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do, and the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. It's an unbelievable scene. That's a man with far greater understanding of the world than the girls on the video or the kids who shriek or the people who are yelling and screaming and upset and demanding revenge and, and being vindictive to their countrymen and calling half of them deplorable and irredeemable. This woman shot his brother dead in his mid-twenties, in his own apartment. And he says, I don't want anything bad for you. I want the best for you. I love you. You should give your life to Christ. He's not just doing it because of some shallow political ideology. He's doing it because his savior lives and he's been commanded to do that by the man who made him. That is a beautiful society. Imagine living in that society. This isn't even the same as protesting justice. They're participating in justice. They're there at the justice system. They respect the decision of the courts. There is justice too. And there is mercy. Shakespeare writes, the quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. Tis mightiest in the mightiest. It becomes the throned monarch better than his crown. His scepter shows the force of temporal power, the attribute to awe and majesty. 
wherein doth sit the dread and fear of kings. Mercy is an attribute to God himself. And that, we're only going to get that society back if we behave that way too. <laughs> we need to have a sense of that too. It's why when people scream and shout at me, whether it's on television or on, uh, on camera or anything like that at one of these campuses, I do my best. I don't always succeed, but I do my best not to give it right back to them, not to get angry and take it personally. No, because what good is that going to do? What good is that possibly going to do? These people are very confused in this culture and there's a lot of pain and there's original sin and there's a fallen world. And we can have, if we can show a little bit of mercy, it can be unbelievably powerful. And, and we're, we're very likely not going to achieve even one, one zillionth of the grace that you see there with that, with that man talking about his dead brother and the woman who killed him. But if you show people that society and you show people the screechy, shouty, I hate you, I hate you because George Washington was a fascist or something, there's no question that we, we want to live in the former, the society of mercy and grace. And for the uneducated, ignorant, uncultured, anxiety-ridden, stressed out young people, I think the big problem is they don't even know that that society can exist. All right. We've got to get to the mailbag in our last moments. I always run late. First question from Nathan. Will we see an impact on the youngest generation as adults due to today's twisted gender norms, safe spaces, et cetera? Well, of course, that's a funny, funny question to ask on this show. I think the show basically answers that question itself. N- not only will we see the impact, but we're seeing the impact now. We're seeing it in the rates of anxiety, stress, suicidality, in the, the prescription of psychiatric medications and depression pills, even to teenagers, even to 12-year-olds. But we're seeing the effects now of this kind of confusion. And it's not merely a scientific confusion, though there's a lot of that. It's not merely a political or a cultural one. It is a metaphysical, spiritual, and religious confusion as well. And what's so ironic about it is so much of the argument from the atheist left is we need to ditch religion. We need to keep religion out of public life. We need to stop talking about the world as though God made it, because only then can we get to scientific reality. What world has that given us? We now no longer admit that men are different than women. We now castrate young children and block them from going through puberty because their parents think in some metaphysical way their little boys are actually little girls. The moment we severed religious reality from public life, we didn't get more science we completely destroyed science and we got pseudo-scientific cultist movements like the cult of catastrophic climate change that's going to kill us all in 10 years. You don't, you don't lose religion and get more science. You lose religion and you lose science too because of course science is predicated on certain religious premises and, and on faith. We're seeing the impact today and young people are a crystal ball. The campuses are a crystal ball. They show you your future in 20 years. We're seeing that in that congresswoman who's 36 years old now. You got to fix the problem. Problem, not all problems go away with time. And if we're not going to fix that problem, it's only going to get worse. From Connor, I find it more difficult to keep up with local politics in comparison to that on a national level. Can you provide advice on some of the factors or qualities uh, you look for when choosing who to vote for in local elections, especially when candidates may campaign on platforms you are less familiar with or which seem to be indistinguishable from the field? Yes. 
Politics is increasingly national. It used to be primarily local. So Tip O'Neill, the Democratic Speaker of the House, used to say all politics is local. That might have been true even as late as the 80s or 90s, but it is not true today. Now all elections are referenda on national politics, the referenda on Trump or something. So when you're voting and, you know, especially in LA, you get all these different candidates and they hide their political views and you can't even see the political affiliation. This is one of the reasons political parties exist is because they show you what the differences are. You get a choice, not an echo. So there's no way you're going to have time to research every single candidate for every single office. That's why if you tend to be more conservative, usually it makes sense to vote for the Republican. If you tend to be more leftist, usually it makes sense to vote for the Democrat. This isn't always true. Sometimes candidates, there are Republican candidates who are really just terrible people, and there are Democratic candidates who are actually more conservative and more reliable. So occasionally it makes sense to vote for the other person. You'll know who those people are if they run a good campaign. And if they run the good campaign, then maybe that's evidence that you should vote for them. You'll know who those people are if you meet one of those Republicans. This has happened to me. I voted against Republicans before because I met him and I knew they were just sociopaths who didn't believe in anything. So I'm not going to vote for that person, even though they say that they believe what I believe in. I can't trust that they'll even do the people's work. The party, I know it's very fashionable these days to say parties are a terrible thing and we got to get rid of political parties. Political parties exist for a reason. They, they make politics a little clearer. That's one good way to do it. And the other good way to do it is to judge people on their campaigns. Campaigns have consequences. And nobody would have put their money on Donald Trump in 2014, 2015. And yet he ran the best campaign and he's been a, and by the way, we didn't even know his religious affiliation because he'd worked with Democrats so much of his life. But he ran the best campaign. He was trustworthy and he got elected. That's, that, that would be a good guide on the national level, even at local politics. From Lena, I'm a hard worker and I've been putting in 10 to 12 hour days for the past 10 months at my job. Now I'm starting to feel burnt out and I find it a bit depressing to think that this is just what the future looks like. I'm torn between making a steady paycheck or taking a leap and seeing what else is out there. What would you do in this situation? You asked the wrong person, Lena, if you want the advice to stay in your steady job (laughs) because, but I bet you're asking the question because you know that's not the advice I'm going to give you. I have done my best in my life to avoid stable and steady employment. (laughs) Okay. The two industries that I've worked in usually simultaneously are politics and show business. The most volatile industries that very often have nothing to do with even talent or skill or hard work and are largely based on chance. Although I do think actually work pays off in the end of that. And I don't regret a thing. I loved it. I have gone through huge periods of unemployment. I have had massive ups and massive downs in those industries. And I wouldn't change it for the world. Now, the funny thing about this is I work 10 to 12 hour days. I work more than that most days. doesn't feel like it though. It doesn't feel like it if you're doing what you really want to be doing and you feel like you're having some impact and the work that you're doing matters. So you know what I would do? I would take a leap and do what you want to do. This doesn't mean be stupid about it. I think some people hear this and they say, okay, great. I'm going to move to Hollywood and not have any other job and not have any income. And I'm just going to be a big movie star, or I'm going to go into politics and I'm going to become a big Senator instantly. And I'm not, no, that's not how reality works. You got to, if you want to do something that you really, really want to do, that's in a high risk field, you got to work even harder. If 12 hour days are too much, you're going to have to work a lot more than that. 
stable, steady employment is a good thing. If you find it's not fulfilling in life, you can find fulfillment elsewhere. You can find fulfillment in family. You can find fulfillment in your civic associations. And of course you can find fulfillment in your religious life and your spiritual life. Doesn't mean that everybody needs to go out there and become a movie star or run for president. But what it, what it does mean is everything is going to have those costs. And what it also means is this is your life. This is it. You, you didn't choose when to be born into this world. Most likely you're not going to have any say in how you go out and you're going to get to the end of your life and you may have regrets. So you don't want to have those regrets. You want to do the right thing and, and, and not feel that you squandered the precious life that was given to you, which is a gift. And when, when you've really got nothing to lose, all you've got to do is do the right thing and work hard. So I, I'm not going to tell you which one to do, keep the stable job or go out and do some crazy thing. I don't even know what, what it would be that you want to do, but you do have, life is all about those choices and you do have nothing to lose. And I always say, go for it. It's worked out, but I know a lot of people who burned out along the way from Tanner. Almighty Cigar Wizard. Just want to say I'm a big fan of your show. Non-politics related question. Is there any modern music or genre that you genuinely enjoy? What is your favorite style and or band? Yes. Yes, there is. I love soul music. I love funk music. I I do like some modern rock bands. I love, I liked uh, Queen. Queen is a great band. I like uh, Wings. I'm the only heterosexual man in America that likes Paul McCartney's band of wings. I, in terms of like really, I mean, I, when I can say modern, I'm talking about post-World War I. I obviously love uh, the American Songbook guys. In terms of really like actual new stuff, ah, I know who. And this, this might be a note to leave on. I really like Nickelback these days. I didn't used to like Nickelback. I used to think Nickelback was the worst band that was ever graced any stage in America. But then President Trump sent out that tweet, that look at this photograph tweet. He <laughs> took Nickelback and used it as a just cudgel against Joe Biden and the Democrats. And it really gave me a strange new respect for Nickelback. All right, that's our show. Uh, in the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. Have a good weekend. See you on Monday. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Rebecca Dobkowitz and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. It seems President Trump is getting sick and tired of being lied about 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The press can't understand it. What's the big deal, they say? Isn't that what we always do to Republican presidents? Hilarity ensues on The Andrew Claven Show. I'm Andrew Claven.